asking the wrong question. The future of business intelligence is not a BI tool. Hello, this is Ron Powell, and you're listening to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. This program presents conversations with thought leaders who are shaping our future through new ideas and new technologies. In this edition of Fast Forward, Daniel Mintz, Chief Data Evangelist at Looker, steps us through some common misconceptions about who uses data for business, how they are using it, and what the future of business intelligence looks like. Today's businesses face unprecedented challenges when it comes to the size and complexity of their data sets. New technologies allow more widespread and sophisticated access to data sets than ever before. With such capabilities at our fingertips, it is easy to assume that the future of business intelligence will be a bigger, more complex version of what has come before. But will it? Let's explore the future begins right now. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, a future that will be here sooner than you think. I'm Phil Bowermaster, and I'm pleased to introduce our very special guest for today's program, Daniel Mintz. Daniel is the Chief Data Evangelist at Looker. Previously, he was Head of Data and Analytics at fast-growing media startup Upworthy, and before that, he was Director of Analytics at political powerhouse MoveOn.org. Throughout his career, Daniel has focused on how people interact with data in their everyday lives and how they can use it to get better at what they do. Daniel Mintz, welcome to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. Great to be here. Thanks, Phil. Well, it's so great to have you with us. And I thought we'd start out, let's talk a little bit about that changing data landscape that Ron mentioned in the introduction, because I think if we, if we talk about the who related to data, that, that already sets us off on an interesting discussion. Who are the people accessing data for their, for their business these days? People who might have to have some access to some level of BI capability. And how are they different maybe from the people we would have thought of as BI users in the past? Sure, yeah, no, it's a great question, a great place to start. So I think the thing to, to realize is that today in just about every business you can imagine, data is part of the business. Um, and for a lot of people, the time that they spend at work is often spent in front of a computer putting data into systems. Um, they might not think of their day that way. That might be a kind of depressing way to think about their job, but, right. um, but it is, in fact, the reality of what they're doing. And so the question isn't, will a broad swath of people be using data applications? Because the answer is they will, right? We already know that. The question is, is really, will they be able to ask questions of the data that they're putting into those systems and get answers back out? Because the very nature of the data that they're putting in means that those systems somewhere deep inside them have answers that would be useful to the business. And so the question really becomes, how do we get that data back out? How do we put it in the right hands at the right time so that those people who've put the data in can, can get answers, can get information and knowledge and wisdom back out? 
you know, I think if you're on Excel, that's where you spend most of your time. You certainly think of yourself as working in data. But think about a point of sale system, you know, in a, in a restaurant. If you're using, you know, Square or Toast, those are big, powerful systems. And sure, most of what you're doing, uh, if you're manning or womaning the counter, is taking credit cards and swiping them. But you and your customers are actually putting a lot of data into that system, right? And so, you know, it might be useful to know what kinds of things people buy at different times of day. What are the sort of ordering patterns on the weekends versus the weekdays? You know, those systems are collecting all of that data, and those answers are in there. I like to talk about it as data exhaust, right? It's not necessarily stuff that we're very intentionally putting in there, but it is in there, and those systems put it off put off that data exhaust. And so the question is, how do we make sense of that data exhaust? You know, I sometimes use the example of my wife, who's a Pilates instructor, as something that, that most people would not immediately say, oh, yes, Pilates instructor, there's a data job, right, where somebody's working in a data application. But the reality is she is. Most of the time that she's working where she's not actually teaching class is spent in an app or on the website, you know, dealing with rescheduling people, dealing with late cancellations, dealing with seeing which of her classes are filled. And that means that that system that she's working in has all of that information about how people attend her classes, who is likely to cancel, how likely they are to cancel ahead of time versus a late cancellation, which of her classes fill up most quickly, all of that information. And she, unfortunately, can't answer those questions. She doesn't have a tool that allows her to ask those questions of all that data. But if she did, that would be really valuable information for her, right? And for the studio owner to know, oh, maybe we should add some more classes at this level, you know, at this time, because the ones that we have are, are filled all the time. Maybe we should open up an extra spot and overbook this class by one because of the people who are registered, you know, one of them is pretty likely to cancel. Those kinds of things would be really valuable to the studio and to my wife to know, but she's only putting the data in. She's not able to get it back out. Um, so I think you know, taking that broader view of who is working with data today and really understanding that most jobs today are dealing with things where they're, they're sort of entering data into these applications is, is an important distinction from the old days when you literally had data entry clerks, and that was how data got into systems, and most stuff was done on paper. It's like we're all the clerks now, right? Yeah. Whether, I mean, and, and not to say that there aren't, you know, there isn't value to putting that data in because there is some basic stuff that, that those systems do for us. That's why we're using them rather than paper, right? It is easier to manage a, a you know, yoga studio or a Pilates studio using an app than it is to do it all on paper. But there's a lot more that you could do with all of that data, you know, all of that, that value that you're putting in. And I think, unfortunately, most people have not, been given the tools or the opportunity to get all of that value back out by asking questions and getting answers. Daniel, of course, you know, getting the right answers out of the data has always been the goal of analytics and BI. You know, over time, we've found some pretty good ways to make that work. But now it seems that the tools that were successful in the past are becoming a big part of the, the problem. Why is that? What's happened is that you know, understandably, BI, business intelligence, has become sort of its own little subfield. And people who do BI for a living have gotten very comfortable with the tools that they grew up using, uh, that they, they started their careers using. 
And those tools really aren't adapted for today's data world in a couple of ways. On the one hand, I think the sort of major problem that they have is that they were built in a time when storing and querying data was hard, it was expensive, it was slow. And so those core technological constraints really changed the way and dictated the way that, that the sort of analytics tools were built. They were built for a world of sort of small data that could fit on your computer, not for sort of accessing really big data that, that lived in you know, big data warehouses because those data warehouses cost millions of dollars and you did everything that you could to not have to buy another data appliance. But you know, on the technology side, on that supply side, the amount of data that we're capturing today has dramatically increased because of what we were just talking about, right? Because of all the systems that people are using to put data in. And, you know, while I think the sort of big data revolution buzz that happened, you know, over the last five or 10 years, largely, I would say under delivered, one place where it absolutely did deliver is an incredibly fast, incredibly cheap, really easy to use databases and data warehouses that now mostly live in the cloud. And so that core constraint of having slow, expensive, hard to use databases, that constraint's gone. And so, you know, I think it's important that we recognize that and think about, well, how could we reimagine the tools to take full advantage of these new, these new databases, these data engines? So that's, that's one sort of reason that I think the old tools are not working today. The other reason is, you know, that's the, if you think of that as the supply side, right, the supply of data that's available and how we access it. The other reason is the, the demand side. And so, you know, we were just talking about all the people who today could get value from being able to ask questions of data. And those people are not necessarily people who want to work with dashboards and reports. That's not necessarily the way that they are comfortable interacting with, with data or with, you know, computers even. And so we need to rethink how we're presenting data to those people, how we're giving them answers to questions, and figure out, you know, what are the intuitive purpose-built applications that we can build that surface the answers to their questions from data, but that do so in a way that's going to make sense to them. Because if we give them old-school dashboards and reports, they're going to look at them, they're going to go, I don't know what that means, and they're going to walk away. And so that doesn't serve anybody, right? So the, the goal is, how do we really meet those people where they're at uh, so that they can, they can get the value that's locked up in that data? So I think BI professionals today need to, need to recognize those two big changes on the supply side and the demand side and take full advantage of the technology that we have today to, to leverage the full supply of data that, that we have at our disposal and rethink the interfaces and the ways that we are presenting data to people to meet the demand in a way that's actually going to meet people where they're at. Well, that makes a ton of sense. And I think if they look at that landscape that we have today and they say, how do we create a dashboard or a report, per your point, they're, that's asking the wrong question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go there. We've, we've said the title of the show now, asking the wrong question. And uh, while we're going there, I want to go there even a little further because you wrote this blog post a while back. It had a really provocative title, You're Not Normal was the name of this blog post. So first off, thanks for noticing. But um, <laughs> I, I want to ask, how do the ideas from that blog factor into this whole issue of getting the question wrong? Yeah, so just to sort of summarize at a very high level what the blog was about, you know, it, it's sort of a philosophical take 
um, that we as humans, we can only experience the world from our own point of view. This is not a new finding or a new idea. This probably goes back to the ancient Greeks. But that means that we have this very sort of unhelpful habit of assuming that our point of view and the way that we see things is probably pretty close to the way that most other people see things. And I think it's particularly important for people who work with technology all day and for data people to recognize that you are not normal. That is not the way that most people interact with data. If you go up to a quote-unquote normal person, you know, to a, somebody who works you know, in a line of business department or is a Pilates instructor or is a cashier at a, at a restaurant, and you say, hey, I've got some really cool data. Do you want to see it? Some of them <laughs> might. Most of them are going to say, I'm sorry, what? And so that's not very helpful. So if, if your idea of how to introduce people to data is to say, look at this data, it's so cool, you're not going to get very far. And so what you need to do is think about what are the jobs that these people are trying to do? How can you show them the value of you know, the data rather than trying to get them excited about the data itself? How can you go, you know, and that means speaking their language, right? It means going up to the cashier and saying, hey, wouldn't it be helpful to know how many covers you're going to have per table on different nights and have pretty good estimates of that so that you could make sure that your staffing is adequate? Or go up to the Pilates instructor and say, hey, would it be useful to know, you know, how likely you are to have an open spot because of the cancellation in each class? And they'll say, oh, yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be really useful. Those are answers to questions that would help me do my job better. And so I think that is a really big difference in how we approach it. And I think that goes back to the idea of, of presenting people with interfaces that make sense to them, that are intuitive. And so I think, you know, it's incumbent on us as data people to recognize that just leading with the data is not going to get us very far, that what we need to do is lead with the value for, for the people that we're trying to serve. You know, when you think about GPS apps, right, on your phone, which is something that basically everyone is familiar with, right? Those are constantly feeding you data, but they're doing it in a really smart way that is going to make sense to you as a driver. You could get a, an alert on, on your GPS that says, hey, there's an accident on the highway ahead. Just wanted you to know. There's no exit. There's nothing you can do, but now you've got 15 minutes added to your travel time. And maybe that's slightly helpful. Maybe you can then call ahead you know, to your friend and say, hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. But mostly it's just going to stress you out. Yeah, basically Whereas, it's just giving you the bad news, right? So it's, you're, you're, yeah, here's the bad news. I mean, maybe that maybe you're the kind of person who, who likes to you know, know what's going on, but you know, not, not super useful. It certainly doesn't help you make any better decisions. Right. Versus there's an accident ahead and there's an exit before the accident. Take the exit so that you don't get stuck in traffic. Now we're giving you data. We've given you data in both cases, but, but now we're giving you data that you can use to make a better decision, right? It's information that you can use to make a better decision. And that is really valuable. And you, you could imagine the GPS just telling you there's an accident ahead and, and putting it on you to figure out the alternate route. But that wouldn't be the app doing its job. It would just be, it would be the equivalent of giving you the dashboard, right, without any sort of guidance and help connecting that to what you're trying to do, which is get to your destination as quickly as possible. And so I think thinking about that and thinking about how do we serve people well is really important. Another example would be 
it, you know, when you, when you board an airplane, if you ever peek into the cockpit, you've probably seen that there is literally a dashboard there uh, with a million and one controls and, and dials and gauges and all of that, right? And yeah, I mean, that's where we get the term dashboard for BI, right? Literally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, compared to a car dashboard where maybe you have a speedometer attack and, you know, a few other things, that, right. that is a huge number of things that, that a pilot might want to look at. Now, is the pilot constantly scanning that dashboard while they're flying and looking, checking each gauge and going, okay, is this within normal? Is this within normal? All right, now let me look at the next one. No, what she's doing is she's flying the plane and she's knowing that that dashboard is really well designed and it's going to tip her off if something is wrong and tell her, oh, look at this gauge, right? It's going to set it off an alarm and say, look at this gauge because you're low on fuel or the oil pressure is dropping, right? It's not going to expect her to just constantly be scanning the dashboard and, and finding the one that's that's doing weird things, it's going to tell her. And so that's an example of a really nicely refined tool that is intuitive and meeting the, the user where they're at, right? It's leaving her as the pilot alone to do her job, but to give her the information that she needs when she needs it. And I think that is fundamentally what we should be aiming for as well as we're designing sort of data tools for people, meet them where they're at, give them some, an interface that's going to make sense to them, and give them help to identify things that they should be looking at. It's kind of like what Google did when they came out, and they allowed people to ask the question that needed to be asked, and it was a very simple interface. It was really one line, one question, and uh, they were able to get the, you know, at least the uh, uh, results that could help them find the right answer. So, you know, taking that approach... Uh, what do the solutions look like for the different kinds of data consumers that we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think Google is a great example. I think people think of search as being really easy. Oh, I've got a website. I'll build search into the website. turns out search is incredibly difficult. It's just Google does it so darn well that people assume, oh, it must be easy. But in fact, Google has thousands of the smartest engineers in the world working on this and constantly refining it and making it better. And you know, I think data is similarly hard. I don't think it's a, a simple step to get from sort of where we're at to the kind of sort of suggestive analytics that, that I've been talking about. You know, at Looker, we recognize that actually most companies that we work with, they have this, this fear that they're way behind because they read all of these hype-filled articles about, oh, this company is doing this amazing thing with artificial intelligence and natural language and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is that most businesses don't know what they're doing with data. Like, they, they really literally have trouble answering really basic questions. And the reason is because it's hard. People shouldn't be ashamed of that. They should recognize that it is often hard to get a clear understanding from the data about how your business is running. We see this all the time where businesses realize that different departments are all running out of different Excel workbooks. And, you know, in the process of implementing Looker, they, they pull those workbooks together and they look at them and they go, guys, I think we have six different definitions of what a customer is. And everyone's like, no, that can't be. It's obvious what a customer is. A customer is whatever's in my Excel workbook. And they say, right, I know that you think that, but the other five departments also think that. And right. all of your definitions are different, right? So Slightly different, that, uncomfortably overlapping definitions, right? There you go. That's right. Yeah. And so I think that, that those really fundamental 
questions about how we're running our business, what are the, the key metrics that we need, are harder than people think. And you know, that is really the first step. Natural language isn't much help if it says, how many customers did we gain last week? And the answer is, well, depends on how you define customer. Do you want right. to use finance's definition of customer or marketing's or sales or operations? And you go, huh? There are, six, there are four different definitions of customer? That, that's crazy. I, <laughs> I was asking what I thought was a simple question, and it turns out it was harder than I thought. And so I think that recognizing that, being sort of okay with those questions being hard and, and humble about them is a really important first step because once you get those, those definitions unified and get that single source of truth about how your business is running and what the metrics that matter to your business are, then you can start building the sort of intuitive interfaces and more interesting stuff on top, right? You know, whether that's giving a, a digital marketer interface that looks like Google ads or, or Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads or Twitter ads, but actually unifies all the data from the four or five different channels that they're, they're advertising on so that they can make cross-channel comparisons and don't have to download the data from each different tab in their browser and then stitch it together in Excel, which is what they're used to doing, but rather can just very easily see what's going on across channels and, and know, oh, look at that. The ads that are running on this channel are actually costing us twice as much per new user as the ones that are running on this channel. And hey, look at that. There's a button right in this data tool to pause the campaign that we're paying too much for. That's the kind of thing that, that just blows people away. And that's really how Looker approaches the problem and, and thinks about the problem because the, the sort of amazing thing about the time that we're in is all of these tools live on the web. And so you can link them all together, right? If you're sort of a modern browser-based tool the way that Looker is, you can take advantage of all these APIs that these different tools that people are using expose and, and really link everything together to make it not just a tool that tells you what's going on, but a tool that lets you take action based on what you're seeing. So moving ahead from there, if we, if we jump now to the future of BI, we know it's not a BI tool. We know it's going to be something that's going to put data into, into context. Normal people aren't in, interested in information unless they can do something with it, unless, unless it's going to get them someplace. So, so if the future of BI is not a BI tool, what does the future look like? Yeah, I think that is exactly the right question, right? And, and I don't mean to imply that BI tools, dashboards, and reports are going away. I, right. I think they are certainly still useful for a lot of things and will continue to be a core way that a lot of people interact with data and, and business intelligence but I think they will increasingly become just one of many ways that people are interacting with, with data. And so I think we need to really broaden our definition of what a data tool is and rethink all of the ways that we can embed data into, into the workflows that already exist, right? So that if you're working on a warehouse floor maybe you have a data tool on your iPad, right? We, we actually have a lot of customers at Looker who do exactly that. Customers like the Real Real and ThreadUp, customers that are constantly dealing with thousands or tens of thousands of SKUs for all of these different items that are coming in from customers. They run sort of digital thrift stores or, or online thrift stores. And so items are coming in, they have to be classified and graded and then put on the web and then they have to go out and get picked and they have to figure out which ones are moving and which aren't. Well, there's no reason that the people on the warehouse floor couldn't get data about that, right? Um, you know, it, it might look like 
the Pilates studio example that I was talking about, you know, having a pop-up in the tool that my wife uses to, to sort of schedule her classes saying, hey, I know tomorrow's class is full, but there's an 80% chance that somebody is going to cancel and you'll have an extra spot. Do you want me to, to sign and, you know, allow one more person to sign up? That would be really powerful. That would be, you know, that's a, that's a bunch of money that my wife could make each week by not having an empty seat in her class. It might look like what, what we built when I was working at Upworthy, where the tools that gathered data about, you know, how different articles were doing, how different types of pictures were performing as, as the sort of thumbnails, how different headlines were performing, where all that data was being piped back into the editorial tools that writers and editors were using every day. Because if the data is locked away, is siloed in a data tool that is just for data, it, it just adds a level of friction that often prevents people from actually going and getting it. Whereas if you pipe that data right into the tools that they're already using, I think that makes a huge difference. And so as we think about the future of BI and, and it not just being a BI tool, I think we need to think both about how do we build specific purpose-built intuitive data interfaces for people that then can connect to, you know, via APIs to the tools that they're already using and how do we bring data into the tools that they're already using? You know, so it's, it's really bi-directional and, and taking full advantage of the sort of ease with which we can query data, the ease with which we can move data, all of which is just very different than the world that most BI tools were, were built in. And so I think really understanding what the, the current landscape looks like, what the current ecosystem looks like, and how modern tools can take full advantage of that, I think just opens enormous possibilities and I think that's really where BI is going. If we even want to call it BI, I feel like BI is such a weighted term at this point. But, you know, this, this broader concept of data analytics, of, of asking questions from data, getting answers back that help us do our jobs better, that I think is the future. You know, Daniel, I couldn't agree more. Getting the right answer to all of the people out there is, seems much more appealing than uh, just bigger and better dashboards. Uh, Daniel, it's been a pleasure. I want to thank you for being with us today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this edition of Fast Forward on the World Transform. My thanks to Ron Powell and our special thanks once again to Daniel Mintz for being with us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you will join us again as we continue to explore a future that is unfolding before us in unexpected ways and at a breathtaking pace. And until next time, live to see it. To learn more about Looker, go to looker.com. To learn more about this program, visit worldtransform.com. Thanks for listening.